Dear Bernadette Joy is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. Hey guys, it's Bernadette Joy. I'm the founder at Crush Your Money Goals and I am super excited to present to you this next season where I'm going to be answering your questions. Since I started this company in 2016, I have fielded thousands of questions about personal finance and I am here to tell you what you want to know based on my personal experience and having worked with many of you. And all of these questions are not just related to money, but also how it affects our personal life, our family, our careers, and everything that we care about in our daily life. So welcome to season four, Dear Bernadette Joy. Hey, it's Bernadette Joy, and I am back for another episode. And this one is particularly important to me because... It's all about how we can support our BIPOC communities in building wealth. And this episode was inspired by a panel discussion I did with an amazing organization. It's called the Young Black Leadership Alliance. It's based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had the great opportunity of being asked to be on this expert panel about race and money and finances. And to be honest, I was completely terrified. Because who am I to talk about this? I didn't really know if I was going to be quote unquote qualified. It turned out to be an amazing discussion. If you want to check out that full discussion, you can check it out at Young Black Leadership Alliance. You can check out their Facebook page for that full panel discussion. But there are some amazing questions that were asked to the panel. And I thought it would be really important to address some of those questions on this podcast because as many of you know, I happen to be a woman of color. I am Filipino-American. My parents immigrated from the Philippines back in the 70s, 80s. And one of the things that really inspired me to talk about this is that on my social media, at some point or another, I've had several commenters who have said some version of, I guess, a dig at me to say, well, you're very privileged to have a perspective about wealth or to talk about my debt-free journey and all that. And while it was meant to be an insult of some sort, I actually take it as a huge compliment because I, a lot of people don't know this, I am the eighth of my father's nine children. My parents did not grow up wealthy. My husband is an immigrant himself. Most people don't realize that about AJ. He immigrated to the U.S. when he was two years old because his parents, also from the Philippines, left him and his his older brother in the Philippines until they could bring him over to the U.S. and it wasn't until he was two years old and they did not grow up wealthy either. Both my husband and I went to colleges that we could afford through academic scholarships even though both of us got into way better schools. We uh, foregoed all of the potential student loan debt at our undergrad levels to be able to go to college at an affordable rate. And that is part of the reason that we were able to build wealth earlier on was that we we were forced by both our parents to not make the decision of heavy student loans. And of course I didn't listen and I ended up taking out student loans anyway when I did my master's degree. And all of this 
culminates in the idea that a lot of BIPOC communities have a big focus on education as a way out of poverty and into wealth. Both our families share that messaging very strongly with the two of us. And when it comes to education, that is definitely something that I'm super passionate about, especially as it relates to people of color like like me and AJ. And so this episode is dedicated to questions around how we can support our communities of color around building wealth. Here's the first question. Dear Bernadette Joy, because wealth is often passed on from one generation to the next, what do you tell an average income young black family how to start building wealth? And this question was posed for black families because obviously it was from the Young Black Leadership Alliance, but let's extrapolate this to, you know, any family of color. And this is a very special topic for me because I decided in the new year that my focus was not only going to be around debt, but around building generational wealth. And what I have found from my own experience, at least in the Filipino American community, is that there's not a lot of conversation around actually building wealth. There is a lot of conversation around money. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of conversation about buying a big house and going to the fancy school and wearing the name brand clothes. But there's not a lot of conversation, even my own household where my father was a CFO at one point, to talk about how do you actually build generational wealth from family to family and pass that on. And so that is something that is super exciting for me to you know, teach people. And there's two main things that I would suggest people really start looking at when thinking about building generational wealth. The first one seems pretty simple, but it is to learn how to have fewer expenses. And it comes very simply from the idea that two households can have the same income, but the household with fewer expenses or with more accumulated wealth from past income will have more wealth. That is just a fact, right? Obviously, the less that you spend, the more that you'll have to grow wealth and then eventually be able to pass it on, right? But the bigger thing that I'm super interested in, and it's a very contested topic in personal finance, is home ownership. And why I'm talking about home ownership is because when we look at the difference between black families and white families in the US, the difference is so significant. And in 2016, there is a research study that showed that the net worth for a typical white family is nearly 10 times greater than that of a black family. It was $171,000 versus $17,150 in 2016. And There was really so many other factors that went into why that came to be. But one of the biggest things that I think there is such a disparity in terms of access and education and understanding is around the idea of home ownership. And obviously, we can have an entire discussion about how all the practices around home buying is ridiculous, like redlining and, you know, just just subprime mortgages being pushed towards, you know, communities of color and just terrible things that are happening systemically. But one thing that all of us can look at is, you know, is there an opportunity to buy a home? 
but not for the sake of what my family raised me to do, which is like, oh, buy a big ass house so you can show it off to your friends and, you know, host a lot of karaoke nights. It's buy a home, not necessarily big, but that's valuable that you can then be able to pay off and pass on as wealth to the next generation. And I will give you an example in my own life. I uh, grew up in a neighborhood in New York City that was very much, you know, Asia had a lot of Asian population compared to other neighborhoods. And a lot of my friends are Asian. And one of the things that Asians tend to be really good at is buying homes. I don't know why that is, but there is a big emphasis on, you know, buying a home and buying it outright. And when I went to college, one of the things that I personally struggled with was that I had two roommates. I was definitely, my my family wasn't poor by any means, but we definitely, I was definitely the least wealthy of my two roommates and myself. And when we left college, both my roommates were able to live in New York City because their parents were able to buy their homes outright for them. And I had such a hang up about this because I thought there was something that I did wrong because the people immediately that I knew around me were able to live in New York City and not have to pay crazy rent and actually have a home that is owned by their family. And I was thinking like, I will never be able to catch up. And one of the things that that really led to, not only for the fact that those families are going to be able to pass on this generational wealth of this real estate, which by the way, went up significantly in value for those people, but they also didn't have to literally worry about a roof over their head. And when you don't have to worry about a roof over your head, there's a lot of different decisions that you can make when it comes to your career, when it comes to your social life, when it comes to you know how you spend your time. And I think that that is often overlooked by people when we look at home ownership. And when I say home ownership, I'm talking about owning your home outright not just buying a big ass house on a 30-year mortgage with little to no down payment. And why I am such a proponent of owning your home outright is because of this idea of generational wealth. Something AJ and I have talked about consistently is that when we, you know, move on into the next life, our homes and the property values of the real estate that we own is going to go to someone in our family that you know, we can give them the gift of not having to worry about a roof over their head. And if they don't like the house, then they can sell it and buy their, the, you know, the house that they want or whatever it is. But the other, you know, piece of that is really understanding that home buying is not just, you know, it's a very emotional decision for a lot of people, but it is also a wise investment decision that can help you build not only wealth for yourself, for the next generations. So, In summary, if you're hearing me on this, please look at these two things in helping BIPOC communities learn how to do this, but also if you are part of those communities, how can you teach this to this next generation, which is how to live on less than you make so that you can pass on wealth going forward, and how can you build wealth through the power of homeownership. Thank you for listening to that piece, and we'll stay tuned for the next question. 
guys, it's Bernadette. If you like what you're hearing but want to meet in real life, consider taking my next masterclass or joining my membership at crushyourmoneygoals.com. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care feels like home because video visits bring my provider to me. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Get ready. Broadway is returning to Charlotte. Blumenthal Performing Arts has an incredible selection of upcoming hits, including the returns of Hamilton and Wicked, plus the long-awaited Charlotte debut of Disney's Frozen and many more fan-favorite musicals and plays. Season tickets are on sale now at blumenthalarts.org slash Broadway. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care begins with the click of a mouse because online scheduling saves me time. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. All right. This question, you know, there was a lot of questions that were asked in that panel discussion and a lot of the questions were more geared towards why do you think that things are happening the way that they are and at first I thought about presenting those questions to you guys to share my thoughts of why things are the way they are but first of all it would just be one person's opinion and I have little to no empirical data to support my opinion about some of these things and at the end of the day does it really matter why it's happening if we don't have a solution going forward. And so I agree that there's an entire conversation to be had, and maybe that's a completely different episode where I actually bring someone who's an expert in why there is such a difference in wealth building opportunities for BIPOC communities versus you know our counterparts. But what I really want to focus on is what can we do about it and why that matters. And so this question I really liked from the panel discussion, which was, essentially, why should I care, right? And the question that was posed was, Dear Bernadette Joy, why should we care about the economic inequality in our society? What are the disadvantages, or in other words, how does it hurt me? And this is a loaded question, and I actually don't really have a great answer because other than that it's the right thing to do and that I believe that everyone should have an equal opportunity to be happy and grow wealth, that's not enough of a reason. And so it's not enough of a reason, unfortunately, for a lot of people. And so why should we care? And here are my thoughts on why we should care. The first thing is that I honestly believe any society is only as strong as its quote unquote weakest members. And by weakest, I don't mean like with the least amount of ability or anything that's inherently wrong with those people. I just mean the people who are you know, struggling the most. And whether we like to admit it or not, in the US, there is a disproportionate amount of people who are struggling, not because of anything that they did wrong 
personally, but because of the circumstances that are around them. And a lot of those, unfortunately, are circulated around race and around gender and things that people don't really have control over. And I really truly believe that if we can help, you know, raise everybody up, that our whole society, and I'm talking about the American society specifically, because I don't see some of these issues in other countries, especially ones that are obviously not as racially diverse, right? But if we can raise the people up that need the help the most, I think everyone can stand to benefit from that. And so let me give you an example from my own personal life. Back in the summer of 2020, Mecklenburg County, where I live, decided to put together a COVID task force. And COVID task force, the mandate for it was to figure out how to recover and renew our county from the effects of the pandemic. And what became very clear from that COVID task force for me was that the people who were most affected were BIPOC communities by far when it came to access to healthcare, when it came to ability to work from home or not, where it came to transportation and housing and food scarcity and all of the things, the basic needs that people need in order to weather a storm, let alone an entire global pandemic, where we looked at the most need across this county was in BIPOC communities. And So one of the things that really struck me in that was that all of those systems that required support and resources and talent were not represented by BIPOC communities. The major decision makers were not people of color. And that was a problem, right? And so, you know, I eventually actually decided to leave that committee because it was a lot of talking the talk, but not a lot of walking the walk, but they did do some good things. One is that they did make the committee itself pretty diverse, and I was really grateful for that. So hopefully there was more voices in the room that present a diversity of opinion. It did shed light on certain things that I did not recognize because I am a privileged person and I'm not exposed to some of these challenges. So one of the things that you know I still can't get over is the idea that there is food scarcity in our county when there is no shortage of food. Let's be clear. There is nowhere in the U.S. that I believe should have a problem with providing basic food. We are literally throwing away food on a daily basis and the idea that someone doesn't have consistent food on the table every day, in my opinion, should not be happening period, especially in a wealthy county like Mecklenburg, where I live. So it really shed light to me on some issues that I honestly just was not aware of that was happening in my own community. And so for that, I am super grateful. And, you know, the other piece that made me really think about this and why I decided to do this episode too, is that, again, talking the talk is not enough. There needs to be more action and there's not a lot of people who are able to be mobilized to do action. And you know why? Because of money, right? There are a lot of people who are very well-intentioned. This is what I figured out. There's a lot of people who have brilliant ideas, a lot of good intentions, but they don't have the resources to make those ideas happen. And when they have to choose between providing for their own family and you know helping the greater good, 
I would fault none of those people for saying, you know what, I can't take this on because I have to support my own family. And so that experience really inspired me to realize that I am in a place of opportunity and privilege and resources that, you know, my husband and I, we don't have to necessarily worry about providing for just our own family and what can we do to empower those people who don't have the same resources that we do. And why that's super important, and it goes back to, you know, why why should we even care if I'm not a, you know, a person of color or if I, you know, this doesn't affect me, right, is because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, if we want to have, you know, greed or compassion will still get you to the same destination, which is if we want our economy to thrive locally and nationally, we need all of the talent, all of the hands on deck. And there is a lot of untapped talent and resources and great ideas that are not being utilized just because of the way those people look externally. And so if we can pool together the amazing talents and the ideas and the hopes and dreams of our communities who are being underserved right now, I can see where that would benefit everybody, not just those communities. So that is my two cents on that. And I really, really appreciate a lot of you who have reached out to me and educated me on how insular and kind of narrow my perspective has been over the last couple of years. And I don't want you to ever stop doing that. So if there are things that you want me to know and understand and provide resources and donate money to or whatever it is, please continue to reach out to me. I am always open to listen. Thanks for listening to this episode and stay tuned for another episode of Dear Bernadette Joy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear Bernadette Joy. Now I'm going to ask you for three quick favors. One is to leave a review and let us know what you liked about this episode. Two is to follow on all social media at Bernadette Joy and submit your questions to be featured in a future episode. And three, if you want to actually meet in real life and learn how to crush your money goals, visit my website at crushyourmoneygoals.com. 